In this episode of Ottawa Business Journal's Behind the Headlines, Ottawa's film industry soars to new heights, a fresh look at the local cannabis market, and an Ottawa entrepreneur looks to shake up homebuyers' purchase properties. All this and more coming up right now. Behind the Headlines is brought to you by Nelligan Law. Their profession is the law. Their product is peace of mind. Hello and welcome to Behind the Headlines for the week of August 16th, 2021. I'm Michael Kern from the Ottawa Business Journal. Behind the Headlines is a regular podcast from OBJ to explore the most popular local business stories. As usual, I'm happy to be joined by two of my colleagues from OBJ. Here is Peter Cavessi and David Sally. Welcome to you both. Listen, we're going to get right into story number one. Uh, as I teased, it, it's about the local film industry. And when you typically think film in Canada, you think Toronto, you think Montreal, you think uh, Vancouver. But here in Ottawa, uh, and we've been saying this for a few years, so hopefully it's coming true, there's a burgeoning uh, local film and television uh, industry. The Ottawa Film Office uh, recently calculated that uh, live action dramatic productions generated a record number. It's uh, 15.8 million, so pretty significant uh, for the city's economy during the first half of 2021. That's 12% up, by the way, in the same period uh, from 2019. And we've had some international networks, including Lifetime, uh, Oprah Winfrey, uh, Network Hallmark uh, uh, Film Productions. That's my favorite, by the way, guys. Uh, in Ottawa, I'm big, big on those Hallmark uh, movies. Uh, anyway, Peter, uh, setting all the jokes aside, set the stage for us, as they say, uh, why is Ottawa becoming an attractive place to make uh, movies and TV? So Ottawa does have some uh, some unique advantages over some of those bigger cities that that you mentioned. Uh, those within the industry often point to uh, geography and the geographic diversity as one of the city's uh, big selling points, along with its affordability. So you know, I think any resident of Ottawa, if they think about it, would uh, would, would agree that uh, Ottawa has a neat mix of both modern and historic buildings, as well as those uh, picturesque waterways, as well as the nearby villages. And what that means to the film industry is that Ottawa can stand in for. Uh, a whole bunch of different uh, different locations uh, and in four unique uh, or distinct seasons uh, as well. So here's just one recent example. Um, in a recent production, Ottawa stood in for Atlanta uh, in a uh, in a film that was going to be uh, airing on the uh, Oprah Winfrey Network. Um, you know, one other advantage that Ottawa has is that it's relatively easy for crews to move around the city. You can be in an urban part of Ottawa and be in, then in a completely rural part in uh, in 30 minutes. The uh, same thing can't be said for uh, for some of those other uh, major cities. Uh, a couple other um, advantages that Ottawa has, uh, we've got a great pool of labor that's uh, produced in part through uh, through Algonquin College. And something that's really getting the industry uh, excited is the, uh, the the prospect of a dedicated soundstage that's uh, been, uh, uh, I guess, uh, earmarked for, uh, for around the, uh, the Woodruff and uh, Hunt Club uh, Road area. Um, advocates say this is going to be so significant because it's going to uh, really make Ottawa more attractive to uh, some of those big dollar dramatic productions that need to uh, construct their own uh, their own set uh, so and we're expecting construction to start on that uh, that sound stage uh, um, sometime next year uh dave let's not forget uh, we're in a pandemic and the pandemic has messed things up big time for production studios in fact i, th I think a lot of films and tv production ground to a halt um what do you what are you hearing about how the pandemic is affecting the industry um well i mean that it, uh it, it certainly uh has 
Uh, it, it did throw a bit of a wrench into production uh, there for a while, no doubt about it. Um, but now, uh, you know, things are starting to ramp up again. Uh, you're seeing that here around town. People, um, you know, uh, producers are are basically um, trying to try, trying to fill in a safe way, make sure that they adhere to all the protocols. But um, it absolutely, uh, you, you know, it, um, it the demand for content just keeps fueling production. I mean, they can't really we can't stop when you've got all these services: Netflix, Apple Plus, Disney Plus, you name it streaming services that have just, um, you know, exploded in popularity during the pandemic. You need to feed the beast. They need content. Uh, that's what producers are here to do. Um, you, you know, fill, uh, <laughs> fill that need for new content and it, and it does provide a, a big, uh, big boost here too, right? For the local economy in other ways. I mean, you know, you think of not just what, um, yeah, you're bringing in, you're hiring crews, uh, that sort of thing, but, they're spending money at hotels and restaurants and uh, and whatnot. Um, they're they're visiting the city, so it generates spinoffs in uh, a lot of other ways as well. Um, you know, about forty to sixty percent of film budgets, according to the Ottawa Film Office, are spent on local goods and services. Uh, that I mean, that we're talking about a one hundred million dollar, um, uh, you know, uh, basically one hundred million dollar boost to the local economy every year. So. That's not an insignificant amount of money, and uh, and they only keep expecting that uh, that number to grow over the years to come. Well, I'm expecting more Hallmark movies, so you know <laughs> they got to keep me happy. Uh, thanks, Dave, for that. And and that I never realized that that's an interesting stat, by the way, the hundred million to the uh, the amount that's being spent locally. Uh, let's go to story number two, uh, and I'm really intrigued about this one too. Um, if you're like me, you walk around the city, you drive uh, around the city. And what do you see? You see new retail cannabis shops popping up everywhere, like weeds. Uh, play on words. Um, so the and I always wonder, uh, you know, how are these businesses doing? Like, how can there be more and more and more of them? Uh, a little bit of a clue. So the provincial government uh, recently shared a snapshot of retail cannabis sales in Ottawa. So that's a really kind of interesting number. So local retailers. Uh, apparently sold 1.7 million grams of pot in the first quarter of 2021. So that's a three-month period, of course. And that added up to about 13 million in sales. So, uh, Peter, uh, give us a little bit of a closer look at these numbers. Yeah, so I, I was also fascinated by by the numbers and what it says about the uh, the local business opportunities. So just just for a bit of context, you know, consumers who uh, are looking to purchase cannabis legally largely have two options. They can either purchase it directly from the Ontario Cannabis Store, which uh, is a crown corporation uh, that sells pot online, or they can go to one of these uh, brick and mortar locations, which confuse things more. Also, we're all getting into e-commerce, but uh, those stores that you referenced. Uh, so basically, two two distinct options. So that $13 million figure, that's just those brick and mortar stores, those private uh, private retailers. What I found really interesting about that uh, $13 million uh, figure, uh, which is the quarterly sales, is that it's 
been at more or less at that level for a year. So the the, the amount of of, um, of of revenue that these stores are collectively bringing in in Ottawa has been relatively stagnant over uh, the, the last uh, few quarters. But at the same time, the number of stores here in Ottawa has been multiplying. You know, according to the government statistics, Ottawa went from seven uh, licensed retailers in the first quarter of 2020 to 28 in the same period this year. And of course, as, as you mentioned, just anecdotally from walking around, I think it's safe to say that the number has increased even further in the last few months since those numbers were compiled. And uh, we also know that there's even more stores in the pipeline that have uh, submitted an application uh, for uh, for regulatory uh, review that are waiting uh, their their license. So what these numbers are suggesting is that the size of the market has stayed relatively constant over the past year, even as more and more businesses try to capture a share of that market, which leads to the question, is the market approaching a saturation point? Our colleague Caroline Phillips um, explored that uh, that question in uh, as part of a much larger feature, you know, a couple of uh, months ago, and uh, she, she uncovered a bit of nuance to that, that question. So one of them is that location is becoming increasingly uh, important for cannabis retailers. So you could you know, easily make the argument that in central Ottawa, the, the market for cannabis retail is getting uh, a little bit congested. But at the same time, there are still some uh, underserved uh, communities in some uh, some of, of Ottawa's suburban uh, neighborhoods. It's also fair to note that some within the industry have uh, have noted that we, we don't talk about other industries in the same way. Uh, I, I don't recall OBJ ever having a debate about whether or not uh, Ottawa's restaurant industry is reaching a saturation uh, point. Um, so, you know, one of uh, Ottawa's first licensed uh, cannabis retailers, Mimi Lang, who's the CEO of uh, Superet, she argued it's pretty simple. If there's too many cannabis shops in certain neighborhoods, the market's going to correct itself um, and that eventually we are going to sort of reach a, um, a bit of a, a balance point. Um, you know, and saying all that, I think there's two really, really important caveats, though, to add to this story. So the first first one is the COVID-19 pandemic. It has affected all retailers, um, you know, really upended the things. And even when you look at qu the quarter by quarter numbers, you do see a little bit of fluctuation. So during those periods when COVID-19 cases were high and we were all encouraged to stay at home, the numbers did, the, the sales numbers did slip. But then during periods where um, cases were a bit lower and uh, were more people out and about, the, the sales figures did slip a bit, uh, sorry, climb a little bit higher. So again, been a very unusual year for, for retail. Um, there's an even bigger caveat though. Um, across the entire province, the Ontario Cannabis Store estimates that um, the legal channel, so the online government store, as well as its private partners, are only capturing 44% of the market, meaning that the majority of cannabis being consumed in Ontario is still coming from the black market sources. So if that segment of the market could be enticed to switch to the um, uh, licensed producers uh, buying their cannabis uh, legally, then all of a sudden the market is, you know, could effectively double, creating a lot more opportunities for uh, for these uh, these private retailers. So listen, Peter and Dave, we're going to put you on hold for a second before uh, we explore our last story of the day. I want to bring in our legal expert from Nelligan Law. Uh, Malini Vijay Kumar, an associate lawyer in the firm's employment and labor practice groups. Welcome to the show, Malini. Thank you for having me, Michael. It's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, you're, you're very welcome. We're happy to have you. Listen, I, I think we're going to talk about one of the hottest issues, particularly if you're an employer. Um, I mean, there's no escape from this pandemic, let's face it. Uh, the issue, of course, is mandatory vaccines, especially as it relates to em employment law. And I think uh, this issue was thrust back onto the onto the um, uh, radar recently when the prime minister suggested uh, that the clerk of the Privy Council 
take a look at uh, making vaccinations mandatory for both federal employees and uh, employees in federally regulated industries. I think that shocked a little bit of people because they're, most employers are uncertain what they can be asking. But let's just take a look uh, and get your you to weigh in on the Prime Minister's request of the Clerk of the Privy Council as it relates to federal employees. What, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, so uh, what the Prime Minister is basically doing here is uh, sort of twofold. Uh, number one, if we're talking about employees in the federal public service, so people who are actually employees of the federal government, a lot of us here in Ottawa, uh, that would be done by way of Treasury Board policy. So Treasury Board would institute uh, a workplace policy uh, saying, you know, uh, employees have to be uh, vaccinated in order to come to the workplace or something like that. And then if we're talking about federally regulated industries more broadly, uh, outside of the federal public service, we're talking about employees in perhaps the airline, uh, broadcast radio, uh, trucking industries, etc. And so uh, what the prime minister seems to be after there is potentially an amendment to the regulations under the Canada Labour Code, uh, which has provisions about, you know, employers' duty to ensure health and safety in the workplace. So that's the, the process I think he would follow there. That's such an important uh, distinction, by the way, because, you know, when I first heard that, I was thinking federal public servants. And of course, federal public servants are direct employees of the federal government. That's, but, but you're making that distinction to federally regulated industries, uh, airlines. So Air Canada, for example, would be a good example of it. So that's really important for us to think about. He was saying something much more broad than maybe uh, I or other people picked up on. Um, I think, Malini, uh, it would be correct to say that most uh, businesses are not federally regulated, they come under provincial regulations. So if the prime minister is suggesting that they have the right to do have in, insist on mandatory vaccination, is the same true for businesses that would be under the provincial jurisdiction? Yeah, that's a really good uh, distinction, Michael, because you're right, the majority of people don't work in industries like airline, uh, broadcast, radio, trucking, etc. Uh, chances are, if you're working in private industry, you're actually probably in a provincially regulated workplace. So the regulations that the federal government passes under the Canada Labour Code won't apply to you. Uh, it's up to actually the province uh, of whatever province you live in to uh, come up with their own regulations under their own provincial uh, workplace health and safety legislation. And um, just as we wrap up here, Malini, maybe I'll put you on the spot with this one. Uh, so, you know, the, the clerk of the Privy Council is, was uh, instructed to go do some research. When, when, uh, when they come back, do you think that uh, the federal government will be permitted to impose mandatory vaccinations? I think they're definitely going to face some opposition. Uh, we're going to have to see how they do it, but they're probably going to face some opposition, for example, uh, under the charter. I could see a rule like that coming up uh, against some charter challenges and maybe some uh, federal human rights challenges as well. So we'll really have to see how that shakes out. It's all very unprecedented. Thanks, Malini, for joining us today and sharing those insights. Thank you. And thanks to Nelligan for its ongoing support of Behind the Headlines. Uh, listen, guys, we're going to go to our third and final story. We have often talked about uh, the hot residential uh, home market. Uh, it's well known. 
Um, now a local entrepreneur, though, is launching a new venture that can shake things up into how uh, home buyers purchase properties. The company name is called Unreserved, and it's an online auction platform that allows home buyers to buy properties in real time uh, and guaranteeing and the and the business guarantees a minimum sales price for the seller. So this is this is really intriguing. Uh, its founder says he's on the cusp of large, also landing the largest seed round of financing in Canadian tech history. Dave, uh, give us a little bit about the backstory here. Yeah, like well, this is a really interesting story, as you say. I mean, um, we're all, I'm sure, familiar in uh, one way or another with online auction platforms. Um, they've been around for cars for quite some time, and in fact, um, uh, the man behind Unreserved actually launched uh, the fastest-growing online car auction platform in Canada right now, a company called eBlock, which last year made the Globe and Mail. It was number thirty, in fact, on the Globe and Mail's list of Canada's top 400 fastest growing companies. Um, so that tells you what the kind of demand in that sphere was. And that's and that's where Ryan O'Connor, the uh, the founder of eBlock and Unreserved, that was sort of his background. Um, he himself has kind of an interesting backstory. He was a competitive boxer, grew up outside of Ottawa, tried out for uh, the Olympic team to go to Sydney in the, for the 2000 games, just missed, uh, lost in the trials there. So gone into business. And since then, um, he has become uh, quite a successful entrepreneur. Um, so uh, yeah, after getting eBlock off the ground, growing it into what it's become today, a multi-million dollar enterprise, he launched Unreserved saying, you know, he was always thinking, why couldn't we do the same thing for the housing industry? And we all know how red hot the industry is right now. And and one of the problems uh, that, that, uh, that O'Connor said he saw was that, you know, when you're bidding on houses, it's kind of you're kind of doing it blindly. You're submitting a bid and you're hoping it gets accepted, and you're hoping you might get to make a counter bid, but that may not happen. There's all kinds of um, uh, you know frust can be frustrations there. So he wanted to come up with a system where no, you're gonna we're we're gonna get to see it'll be fully transparent. Everybody can um, can see what the other bids are, and that's what happens in unreserved. It's literally it's a there's a set time period for the auction. They get two independent appraisers to appraise each property to come up with a minimum bid, uh, minimum value for the property. The online auction occurs. You have a certain amount of time to match or, or beat a bid uh, before it closes. And um, here's the interesting thing, like you kind of mentioned, they guarantee uh, a minimum price to the seller. So, if let's say you've got a house on the uh, the minimum bid is $560,000 or the minimum uh, price on the website, that's the guaranteed minimum. If it only ends up selling for $530,000, say, unreserved will cut the seller a check for $30,000 to make up the difference. Um, and uh, they've already had to do that once. Uh, they've sold four houses and on one of them, they did have to uh, have to do that, make up the difference. And they, they take a 1% auction fee. Now, uh, when you compare that with the average commission for a, a realtor takes on a, on a house transaction, which is four to 5%, that can, um, that can, that can be quite a savings uh, uh, for, the, for the buyers. So, um, uh, and uh, can mean quite a difference uh, as well for, for the seller. So, um, so he's, uh, he, he thinks there's gonna, be, uh, there's gonna be quite a market for this. 
um, so much so that he's uh, he's been talking to investors, uh, and he says he's looking to, and it's and it's looking quite promising that they're going to get, as he put it, north of twenty million dollars in a seed round over the next couple of months, um, which he says would probably be the biggest seed round in Canadian tech history. He says uh, investors are are calling every day uh, to get in on this. And they've actually um, just recently, uh, as of last week, they brought on board Simon Dean uh, as their uh, as their chairman of the board. He is the former CEO of Royal LePage, and he helped turn that company around in the late '90s and early 2000s. Really, for its revenues, and um, O'Connor says he's just a wealth of knowledge and uh, is really keen about um, about scaling up unreserved and. Um, and for now, it's so for now it's focusing on the national capital region, um, but it expects to move into the GTA early next year, and then Vancouver later next year. Um, so uh, O'Connor really feels uh, that um, he's on the verge of uh, something big here, uh, duplicating the kind of success he had with eBlock, and um, and even though you know the housing market may be showing a few signs of cooling off right now, Mike, he. He still thinks there's there's um, you know there's plenty of a market for for this and uh, uh, because you know anybody who's looked at the figures in Ottawa the last few months um, uh, you, you know uh, the, the, the the I mean there are there are sales going on there's still uh, bidding wars happening so um, so yeah so it's going to be really interesting to watch and see how unreserved uh grows over the next few years we, we built shopify why can't we build unreserved but <laughs> but let me just check something with you dave so i just want to make sure i get this straight to, and people watching or listening to the podcast get this straight so uh i'm a home seller i sign up with unreserved they do a double appraisal come up with a price and then people can still go visit the house right you can still do it you can visit it physically. You don't have to just yeah, look at yeah, pictures. I, yeah, if you wanted to, they have a great, they have a very, uh, the website is if you go on there, I mean, they've got multiple pictures of each room. They break it down. It's a pretty okay. good virtual tour. Tour, okay. And the other interesting element, I do want to mention this is, they actually guarantee there, there's, um, uh, they uh, they essentially, uh, they'll they'll say, look, they they inspect each house too. It's a, each house gets yeah. fully inspected and, if something happens within the first year of the purchase, say the roof uh, suddenly starts leaking, needs fifty thousand dollars in repairs, they will guarantee uh, they'll cover that up to a hundred thousand dollars with a five thousand dollar deductible for the first year. That type of work, whether it's uh, a roof uh, foundation, uh, mold uh, removal, anything like that, uh, anything unforeseen. So it's it's really interesting. Uh, yeah, kind of model. Well, it, it seems well thought out. So, you know, I, I'm really intrigued to keep watching this story. So th thanks for that reporting, David. Peter, we're going to wrap up now, but uh, tell us what OBJ is working on in terms of projects or other initiatives. So uh, we're uh, currently working on one of our uh, biggest projects of the year, which is uh, the research for our annual book of lists. So uh, if you've never seen it before, this is a uh, directory of uh, hundreds. Uh, we usually publish more than contact information for more than 600 uh, companies organized by a variety of sectors. It's one of our most popular publications. Even in the age of Google, as we like to say, there is no substitute for uh, this, um, uh, this, really this authoritative guide to all the, uh, not all, but uh, hundreds and hundreds of businesses in Ottawa. So 
So right now what we're doing is uh, we're sending out our surveys to companies uh, to update all their uh, contact information, all their details uh, to be in the book of lists. So please do keep an eye out uh, for uh, emails from our uh, research team. And as well, um, if you want to be part of the book of lists, we encourage everyone to please visit obj.ca slash B-O-L. Uh, from there, you can not only read last year's edition, find out more about advertising opportunities, but as well, uh, submit your own uh, information to uh, to help uh, um, uh, get your get your company listed in the book of lists. And you and the team, Peter, have done a great job over the past few years just adding the market snapshot and the who's who in each sector and that. So it's it really is a good read. It's it's a great piece of data, but also a, a fascinating read. I always say if you know if people are new to the city and want to learn about it, the business community really quick. I I swear there can't be any other uh, better resource. So thank you. Uh, thank you, Peter. Thank you, Dave. That brings us to the end of uh, the episode. A reminder, you can listen or watch uh, this uh, podcast. Um, if you want to watch it, you can go to our YouTube uh, channel. Be sure to like and subscribe. Click the little bell icon so you know when we're posting new uh, videos. If you're into listening to podcasts, you can do that on popular uh, podcast platforms such as Spotify, Apple, uh, SoundCloud, and Twitch. I encourage uh, everyone to visit obj.ca. Uh, That's our website. It's updated regularly uh, each day with some great local business news. And if you never want to miss a headline, the thing to do is to subscribe to uh, OBJ Today email newsletter. And then you'll get a newsletter uh, late afternoon, uh, early evening with all the important headlines of the day. You can sign up, by the way, as you can see, uh, if you're watching uh, on screen at obj.ca slash newsletter slash sign up. On behalf of my colleagues, Peter and uh, Dave, uh, thanks for tuning in. Please stay safe. Hope to see you real soon. Bye-bye.